You know, no matter how you play around with numbers, one means one. And that is a biblical doctrine. This truth uh, is a very basic principle in our salvation. There is one person, one man, one redeemer, one surety, one mediator between God and men to reconcile a sinner to the heart of God. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak Today. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and day by day we bring you the message of God's Word. Through this month already, we've been looking at a number of cults. We've been looking at the Nicene Creed, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventists, and now we turn today to look at Roman Catholicism, one of the large religions in the world, and outsurpassed only by Islam, but Roman Catholicism has been a historic uh, enemy to biblical Christian gospel doctrine. Now, I want to be very clear in, in, in my presentation here today, and we're going to look at it very clearly as we come to the Bible, which tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Here's a biblical statement, one mediator. Now, any religion that adds to that multiplies mediators and tells us that there are a number of people or figures that you can pray to and worship for salvation, then it doesn't add up. And today we're going to take a very good look at this whole matter. And we'll be dealing with justification. What does the Roman Catholic Church believe about justification? Well, firstly, what does the Bible teach about justification? Justification is the righteousness of God imputed or transferred to the believer's account. It is God's merit, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and the life that he lived. It's the merit of God transferred to man. Once you start adding human merit, human works, human efforts, performance, to the equation of justification, you mix it up. It has to be all of God or all of man. It cannot be Christ plus man. And that is the most dangerous, dangerous fallacy that's abroad today, that Christ did so much, man must do the rest. I hope you'll stay tuned with us. Now we turn to our message and song. It is well with my soul. This is the delight and liberty of a Bible Christian.
We're going back to Hebrews chapter 9, the passage that we read. But there's another verse that I'd like to begin our meeting with tonight. If I'm ever talking one-to-one to a Roman Catholic, I tend to use this verse. I tend to think that this is one of the most helpful verses in all of the Bible to assist one in the Roman Catholic Church to understand the gospel. And that is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It's a very well-known, clear statement. And it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. That is a verse to memorize. It's a verse to locate uh, so that you can turn it up at any time when you're discussing these things. And uh, this reference to our Lord as a mediator appears six times in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at all of them in the course of our meeting tonight because this office of mediator is unique. It is the sole office of our Lord Jesus. There is only one. Now, if the Bible speaks at all, if there's any meaning to words, one is not two. You know, no matter how you play around with numbers, one means one. And that is a biblical doctrine. This truth uh, is a very basic principle in our salvation. There is one person, one man, one redeemer, one surety, one mediator between God and men to reconcile a sinner to the heart of God. Now, this is central in a number of ways. This is central through the whole Bible. I don't think anyone could be a Bible reader at all and not see this. There is just one. And Christ is the fulfillment of every sacrifice of the Old Testament. That's the message of Hebrews 9, and I want you uh, to turn there. You will uh, notice uh, that where we began to read in Hebrews chapter 9, that we're not saved by the blood of bulls, calves, goats, or uh, the ashes of an heifer, or any of those sacrifices. The sacrifice that saves our soul is that offered by the Lord Jesus himself. Now, the priest must not come to God without blood. That is a basic principle in chapter 9, verse 7. For into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. I want you to notice that. Um, I'm going to assume something tonight. I'm going to assume that you have been exposed to the thinking, the teaching of Roman Catholicism. And your mindset is that if I need my sins forgiven, I need the church, I need the priest, I need the ministry and the ceremonies of uh, the, the religion of Roman Catholicism because the church of Rome says outside the church there is no salvation. She is the only one. 
So I'm going to assume that that's, that's your thinking. But I want you to see in the Bible here tonight that this priest, the priest that is the only one, this mediator, that he must come not without blood. Not without blood. It must be what we call a bloody sacrifice. And, of course, our Lord Jesus has earned the title. He has earned the position of being the mediator between God of men by his own blood. His own blood. Let's go down to chapter 9 and verse 15. For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions. That brings you to Calvary. It brings you to our Lord Jesus dying upon the cross. His blood shedding is central to the plan of redemption and atonement. And by his death, he is now qualified to be the mediator of the covenant, the mediator of the gospel. And in chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. You can't be saved without the blood of Jesus. You can't be at peace with God unless your sins are washed away by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. In Revelation 5, the question goes up, who is worthy to open the book? And of course, there was only one worthy, the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy because of his blood. And if you read Revelation 5, you'll see the emphasis upon the blood of the Lamb, that he can open the book, break the seals thereof, and give eternal life to souls. Now, Christ's mediatorial work is central to the plan of the gospel in the covenant of grace. God's salvation is not a whimsical thing. It's a, an agreement between God the Father and the Son. God in his eternal love for the souls of men appointed his Son to be the mediator, the Savior of men. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And we're told that God the Father appointed his son to this office and his position. So he's appointed by God. He earned it by his own death and by his blood shedding at the cross. He is also marked as our mediator by being raised from the dead. After three days in the grave, when the Father raised him up, he accepted his sacrifice. He justifies his people by raising up his son from the grave. Now, who did he raise up? Can you think of anyone else that God the Father raised up from the grave? What about Peter? What about the apostles? Martyrs? Is there anyone else you can think of that was raised up from the grave? As a vindication, as the message that this is the one after having died on the cross by appointment, having shed his blood as a sacrifice for the remission of sins, for our cleansing, God the Father has raised him up. But there's no other whom he has raised up. 
And so the person and the blood of the Lord Jesus now becomes the object of our faith. If I ask you to believe, what are you to believe? In whom are you to believe? You're to believe in one name, the work of one person, the blood of one person. Romans 3 calls it faith in his blood. That's how we're saved, by putting our faith in his blood. So there is one name, one person, and there's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Now this office of mediator, this unique office of being the day's man between God and men, where he can reconcile a holy God and sinful men and bringing them together, this brings great glory to the name of the Lord Jesus. And for his work of mediator in his death, the Father raised him up and gave him a name that is above every other name, that every knee shall bow the knee to Jesus, every one. And you and I in eternity are going to bow the knee to Jesus. Believers will bow that knee in worship. The wicked, the unsaved will bow the knee to him in their wrath in their destruction and to their doom. And so to tamper with this singular office of our Lord Jesus, to suggest there is not just one mediator, there's two or three or four or more, to multiply mediators is a recipe of awful confusion at least. It is to rob our Lord Jesus of that singular, unique position of being the mediator of the covenant, the redeemer of his people, by adding another, or another, or many. Indeed, this is worse than plagiarism. Uh, we talked about uh, when we were dealing with uh, Seventh-day Adventism, uh, we talked about plagiarism taking another person's writing and stealing it and calling your own. Uh, that's wrong. Uh, that is taking something that doesn't belong to you. Well, here to appoint another mediator alongside the Lord Jesus is to give a position and title that doesn't belong. They've never earned it. They've never been appointed it. They're stealing that position. It would be worse than to deny a political leader the office to which he's been elected. And someone else comes along and says, well, I'm going to sit in the seat too. Could you imagine that confusion in Parliament? An elected person to a position, and here's more turning up. It's unthinkable. Or to deny a general of an army who has fought in the battle with his own sweat and blood and won the victory for his nation. And you take that medal and honor and you give it to others. That's unthinkable. But here in a religious context is the madness of taking this office of mediator, which is solely the work and position of our Lord Jesus, and multiplying mediators. And my proposition, my contention tonight, is the fallacy, the error, and the destruction of the gospel when Roman Catholicism multiplies mediators and 
tells its people that you can have relief from your sin and with your various needs go not just to the Lord Jesus but to various others. That is wrong. Christ's mediatorial work is denied in the whole ministry of priests. As you know, the priest in the Roman Catholicism is the central figure in any worship, in any activity of ceremony, the priest is front and central. Rome teaches that the priest is a middleman. He's not just a church officer carrying out certain duties. He is the link between heaven and men. He stands in the place of God for men. And Rome teaches that the priest has the power to forgive sins in the confessional. Now, we haven't time to look at the whole history and the experience of the confessional. But can you imagine someone going in through the curtain into the confessional box and unburdening his heart to a man on the other side and he reports that you're forgiven and you're supposed to leave that confessional with an ease of conscience and to accept that your sins now are gone? Rome teaches that the priest offers a sacrifice in the Mass. I've spent some time here tonight looking at Hebrews, trying to point out that a sacrifice has to be with real blood. And of course, in the offering of the Mass, Rome claims to have a transubstantiation of the bread and the cup into the real body and the real blood of the Lord Jesus. What do we have? A priest repeating a sacrifice over and over and over again. Now, does that square with the Bible? Let's stay with Romans 9 and look at verse 24. I want to read right down to the end. I want you to get this from the Bible tonight. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time. One sacrifice, one blood shedding, and he cried out on the cross, it is finished. The church of Rome tells her people, that every time that the Eucharist, what we call communion, is served and celebrated, that there is a re-crucifying of the Son of God over and over and over each and every time. Now, Rome elevates the priest in spite of the reality that the New Testament gives no office of priest. The Lord Jesus Christ is the last priest. We don't deny that there are no priests in the Bible. There were priests in the Old Testament Jewish economy. There were priests in the temple. They had special off positions offering incense, offering uh, the blood that was 
shed from animals, and this was taken into God, and they had priestly work to do. But when our Lord Jesus Christ died as the great high priest, with his own blood, and that a sacrifice, you remember what happened in the temple? The curtain was rent in two from top to bottom. And God spoke clearly that the whole ministry of sacrificing, of coming by priestly means, is over. And when you look at the number of offices in the New Testament, you'll find that the priest is absent. There is no office of priest in the New Testament church. Now for that, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. And I want us to see here that uh, there's a list of various teachers, preachers, pastors, evangelists, and so on, prophets, pastors, and teachers. And this is a description of the church, the New Testament church. And it says, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now you'll notice what's absent there. Sacrifice is absent, blood is absent, and priest is absent. There is now in New Testament church worship no more sacrifice because Christ is our great sacrifice. There is now no more blood in New Testament worship because it is the blood of Jesus, his own blood, that atones for our souls. And there is no longer a priest because the Lord Jesus is our priest. And he is now in the heavens. He is interceding and praying for us. If I must have my sins forgiven, then I must go to him. I must go and pray directly to my great high priest and ask for the forgiveness of souls. Thank you for listening to the message here today as we've been dealing with Roman Catholicism. We're trying to examine it in the light of Scripture in those clear statements where there is one mediator between God and men. And by the way, that text is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, a very, very important text that you need to lay hold upon. Now, let me come to the issue that I've looked at with all of the cults. Any church ministry that does not teach justification by faith alone is not the true church. That was the conviction of Martin Luther, of every evangelist and gospel preacher in uh, fundamental Christianity. Now, Roman Catholicism at the time of the Protestant Reformation was forced into a position to deny justification by faith alone. I say forced because things were brought to a head. Martin Luther, John Calvin, other reformers were defining and declaring men to be saved on the merits of Jesus Christ alone. The Roman Catholic Church, to hold its people, to try and uh, maintain its power, uh, declared at the Council of Trent, that anyone who preached, taught, or believed that justification by faith alone was all that's necessary to be saved were to be anathema. And this anathema was placed upon the preaching of the gospel. 
Now, you will probably say, well, the Church of Rome surely is not the same today as it was then. Well, let me read to you from the 1995 Catechism, the very last authoritative document of the Roman Catholic Church. And I want you to notice in this statement, and I'm reading from Catechism of the Catholic Church, and it's page 536, number 1427, on justification. And here is their own statement. Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Now, there lies the issue. The gospel, the word of Paul the Apostle, whether it's the book of Romans, Galatians, or in other parts of the New Testament, declared that a man is made righteous on the basis of the merit of Christ alone. And human merit can never earn justification. Therefore, justification stands alone, and we are declared righteous in God's sight by the work of the cross, the atoning blood of the Lord Jesus, and his righteousness transferred to our account. But once you add sanctification, which is the process of inner renewal, which is mentioned here, sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Once you lump those two things together as the basis of acceptance with God, you have destroyed the gospel. The gospel is no longer the clear message of pardon, complete, absolute, today and forever. Because, unfortunately, many Roman Catholics... Indeed, all Roman Catholics do not have the absolute assurance of eternal life. And that's easily seen that they pray for the dead. They have masses for the dead. So Roman Catholic people who are baptized, stay in the church, go to mass, do all these things in the church, when they die, they are not given the assurance of eternal life. And this is because the doctrine of justification by faith alone is denied. And that is the real issue. And I trust that you will join us again tomorrow at this time as we deal again with the whole issue of Roman Catholicism. So stay tuned now for our closing announcement. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 
and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, B.C., V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway, on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.